Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast, hosted by three friends who were brought together by their heroin-addicted partners. We became each other's biggest support through some of life's toughest times. We're not licensed professionals, and nothing in this conversation is professional advice. But we hope our stories offer a glimpse into how these issues weave into our everyday lives. You're not alone. We can all get through it together. If you're listening, you probably know we met at a family support group and our bonds have grown stronger through sharing our stories and supporting each other. When we think about the thing that's helped us most, it's that. So we'd like to extend that community to you. If you're feeling like no one understands what you're dealing with or you're looking for a community of like-minded individuals, consider joining our virtual support group. For details, visit us at recovering2.com. We know what you're going through and we're here to help. We're Recovering Too. Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast. Today we have a long-awaited guest. Um, Elise's husband, Steve, is uh, here today to share his story with us and let us ask him all the questions. Um, Lizzie is back once again helping us out while uh, Alex is on maternity but this episode is so exciting that Alex could not miss out. So Alex is here too. Hi. Yay. Um, how are you doing? It's so good to be like talking to adults. So I'm doing good. <laughs> yeah. Are you forgetting what that's like? Well, since I've been here, we've been, we've like quarantined and I had a kid. So it's been like a, yeah, it's just been my husband and I mostly. So I'm missing like real interaction. <laughs> Yeah. but everything's going really well the baby is um really fun so it's been good. it's been good. good yeah well we are glad to have you with us again yeah. Mr. we'll do a whole check-in episode i'm sure coming yes up, so. we will because we want to know everything that's going on yeah. well it's a lot of sleeping eating and pooping so <laughs> for everyone like for okay. everyone. Well, that's uh, <laughs> good 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 yeah. All right. Well, um, Steve, how do you feel being on the show? Yeah, I, I'm super excited. Uh, we were just talking about this, but I want to go on record as the first uh, Boy Problem super fan. Uh, I listen every week religiously, so I'm super stoked to be here. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Oh, and I guess actually you have been on with us once before when you and the other guys talked about your uh, recovery experience during COVID, but I think this will be good to uh dive in a little deeper on your story and get to know you so i guess with that i don't know why don't you give us a little bit of background on yourself and your uh, addiction history what's your story man yeah yeah so i mean i feel like my story is pretty typical uh star you know i grew up in a small town really small uh kind of boy next door type of deal i had to it was like a fairy tale growing up i had a i had a mom i had a dad um i played sports uh everything was great i uh, you know i dabbled in drugs early teens 13 14 i think kind of like everybody does especially like socially acceptable stuff drinking pot those kind of things uh i lost my dad when i was 15 uh sophomore year 
that's the first time I remember like turning to drugs to not because I didn't like the way that I felt. Okay. So though, though, so I felt like I was kind of dabbling in things, and and I hate to make it seem like just because my father died, that's the reason I started using and became an addict. Because I don't feel like that's true either. I feel like that's kind of a cop out. But that's really the first time I remember turning to drugs because I really didn't like the way I felt at 15 and then I used through high school for a small town there were a lot of hard drugs and by the time I left high school I was really using hardcore stuff um cocaine uh oxycontin hallucinogenics I mean you name it they were there I think really the only thing I hadn't tried when I got high school was like heroin I mean but take the oxys and stuff back then that was basically heroin yeah so how did you make the jump from the oxys to heroin then that really didn't come till a lot later oh. to be perfectly honest um pills were so cheap especially through like my 20s you know probably the better part of a decade uh that i never really looked for it i never heard people talk about it to be honest with you and then the price of the pills started to go up so high when I was in my late twenties and a guy I was working with at the time uh, turned me on to it because it was so much cheaper and mm. I could get, you know, I get really high with a lot less money. And, uh, so he caught, uh, he caught Steve snorting pills at his job and was like, Hey, try heroin. Uh, well, thanks, that's not necessarily totally true, but we'll just say it is. He, yeah. He saw a bunch of drugs in my work area I wasn't really like snorting him when he saw me, but yeah, he saw a bunch of drugs I had at work and then that's how our relationship started. And he turned me on to Aaron. He had enough. He saw enough to know what you were about at that point. You guys. Yeah. Chat. So Mm -hmm. when you started using in high school, was this like socially or were you kind of using alone? Uh, Both. Uh, Both. I, you know, I remember, Again, like I was just kind of like your normal guy. Like I had friends. I, you know, we went to parties and me and my friends, when we went to parties, we did the harder stuff before we got there because, you know, not everybody's into that. But, you know, then we go to the party and smoke and drink and everything. And then, but I would also, you know, wake up before school and get high before I got there by myself. So on a daily basis, you, you know, so it was just basically all the time mm-hmm. looking for a way to get high. And it didn't really matter what it was. I didn't really have a, drug of choice necessarily other than just mm-hmm. more i just always wanted more to take it to the extreme were you, know? you able yeah. to like maintain your like life and responsibilities like in high school your schoolwork and, or like after that like work and school and things or did it kind of consume your life at that point i, I don't want to say it consumed my life and, and i don't want to go on some crazy tangent here but like so when I lost my dad at 15, it was such a small town that everybody was really willing to cut me a lot of slack. And I was more than willing to take advantage of that. Um, I got kicked out of high school. Um, if you did that today, you, for the things I was doing drugs and I got caught, didn't get caught with the drugs, but was suspended for a short time. And if you were doing these things today, you'd be you know, arrested and they didn't do anything to me. They kicked me out of school for a couple of days and, I had to go see a counselor and she told me in our first meeting, if anybody asked me if you passed the drug test, I'm just going to tell them yes. So, wow. she, I mean, it was, everybody was really just really willing to cut me a bunch of slack because they knew my dad had died. Everybody knew it was just such a small place. I think our high school total in all four grades had like 350 kids or something. So, yeah. At any point in the no. time, did people 
say anything about like, oh, maybe you have a problem or like, what did your mom and sister say or was everyone just kind of distracted and going through their own grief and things? Well, I think that was part of it. That's a really good point. Everybody was trying to deal with this, you know, huge change and everybody was kind of dealing with their own way. And I think when my mom and sister knew that I was smoking pot, but they didn't know I was using harder drugs. No, only my close circle of friends really did, but we were all doing that. But just kind of to what uh, Alex was saying, you know, I don't really feel like it ruined my life or, or got the better of me to a crazy extent. Like I did really well in school. I, uh, I, I, always got A's and B's, was on like the honor roll after high school. I was able to maintain this facade of, you know, having my stuff together. It's basically to fool everybody that, you know, I have my priorities straight and I could still, you know, use. And that was my mantra through high school, college, my 20s, until I could just no longer keep it up. That was always my motto. You know? yeah. Show you what you want to see so nobody looks at me too hard. Makes sense. So at what point did you meet Elise, how did that happen, and where were you at drug drug use wise? Uh, so I met Elise. I I by this time I went to a community college with an associate's degree, so I was out of school when I was twenty, and my sister had just started school, and my sister was in her second year and was Elise's RA. So I would go to school to see my sister, and that's when I would met Elise it was on a college campus so everybody was kind of partying uh and I feel like you guys have touched on that before that was just kind of what everybody was doing Elise and I dated and basically just partied while they were dates but they were parties too you know and uh I was always you could always read the room I just feel like there were certain drugs that you could pull out at a party like pot or booze or you name but you pull out coke or something there's a, there's there's not really a gray area i don't feel like like people are either for it or they're not and you can kind of read the room and elise was never really down with those things so i always kept it hidden no matter what the drugs were there were a lot of painkillers through, through that time but those were the things that i kept to myself that maybe if somebody at the party you know or something was there but it was more just me doing everything above and beyond what everybody else was doing. Because I knew it was not going to be looked upon favorably. So, I had no idea he was doing pills throughout our relationship. And nobody nobody really did, to be perfectly honest. Except my close circle of friends from, from like high school. There were probably five or six of us that kind of stuck together through our 20s. And, and we all still, we were all addicts. We just didn't know it. We didn't have a term for it. Okay. So at what point do you think you knew you were an addict? When I got thrown into rehab oh uh that was maybe i knew it before then that was definitely the first time i admitted it got it so i will say two days ago was his five-year anniversary of getting in the accident with the semi oh so it was kind of so i uh i wanted to say like congrats to him i actually haven't um that it's his five years into like getting into recovery, like starting the journey. Yeah, that's good. That's amazing. Thank yeah. you. Yes. Yeah, June yes. 10th, 2015. That was my yeah. that was my last overdose in Iraq, right? So, yeah. 
your last overdose. Yeah. So that reminds me there were um, a few or handful or something of overdoses. Um, What do you think was different about this time or like, why did other overdoses not like scare you into getting help sooner? I don't think the overdoses are what put me in a state of mind to seek help. I don't even think I would have sought help for whatever reason. If I could get high, I could justify and rationalize anything. Car wrecks, overdoses, house burning down, you name it. I could have justified it as long as I could have kept getting high. That was all I really cared about. It was more of the fact of Elise. She was going to leave. I figured she would be better if she did. But this was like the straw that broke the camel's back. And it was almost like, okay, I'll go to do something which was going to be rehab. I, you know, we didn't even really know what it was going to be, but it was like, if at least give her this, then everybody can get off your back. You can go back to getting high and the cards are going to fall where they may. It was more, there was no like, Oh, I've got to stop. I've really got my life's an absolute wreck. It was more like, okay, this is shit's really gotten real. And I've got to at least, placate everybody so I can get back to getting high. Like, I got to give them something so I can turn around and get high yeah, again. Just like appease her a little bit and like, you know, maybe they'll see like, oh, you're trying something and you'll just get moved past that and be back to using, but Absolutely. Huh. Um, so why cuz there were years like I don't know, almost a, a decade of you guys being together. Uh, and you using and Elise not knowing um, how how do you think you were able to maintain that or yeah yeah so I you know people talk about uh, people talk about you know their their recovery and their and the relapses and they've they've tried everything I really feel like the times when Elise and I were together that I always thought in my mind, like, I can stop this really whenever I want. I can really, this isn't a big deal. I've got my stuff together. I go to work every day. I bring some money home to the family. You know, I've, I've got my stuff pretty much together. And then on top of that, we really didn't see each other a lot because I worked nights. She was in events. There was really only one day a week where we even saw each other. So it kind of gave me free reign to do whatever I wanted. And, and then I think on top of that, this is true with my family, just as much of a lease. I think if you give anybody, you know, a plausible excuse as to something else besides the drugs, they're going to look that way just because nobody wants to really believe that. I truly feel that way. I feel like if you can give the ones the closest to you that love you the most, any kind of excuse that, that they can, you know, that's even half-assed, they're going to go for that because nobody really wants to think of their you know, love wasn't as, as an addict. I really feel like that's how it was in my case anyway. Yeah. And I, feel like, I feel like I got way off topic with that. But anyway, I feel like that was a big part of how I was able to keep it under wraps. And I feel like even though stuff was crazy, I know you guys have heard some of the stories on here, you know, me passing out at work and her coming down and getting me and, and you know, the, all the car wrecks and things like that. I don't feel like those were spread out over a long period of time either. That, that was all pretty 
pretty short period of time when stuff really like went off the rails. Um, and for the most part, maybe we weren't necessarily happy, but stuff was kind of just moving along normally. You know, we both go to work. We both, you know, kind of continue with a normal routine somewhat. And then, you know, there might be a flare up or something crazy happen, but not anything like that happened towards the end. When, like, like I said, again, like the overdoses, the car wrecks, just absolute craziness. Talk about all the anger, like how mean you were, like why? I honestly don't, I, I remember being mean. The only thing, I mean, that even makes sense is just people were coming at me with the drugs. People were starting to tear down that wall little by little. And that was like the one thing I just couldn't let out. Like I, I couldn't let people know that I was using drugs because they were going to make me stop. And I knew that. And it was like the drugs above all else mentality. I had to keep getting high, no ifs, ands, or buts. And if people got too close, it was whatever was in the tool belt to, to fight them off. It might've been anger. It might've been you know, any kind of manipulation, you know, to guilt trip you from something you did. I mean, it, it, just whatever I could get you to do right. to back the F off, to leave me alone and let me get hot. Yeah. Deflecting it all away from you so that, exactly. yeah. What about stealing all the money? I was just about to say that when he, um, I, that was one of my questions when you mentioned like, well, for the most part, like things felt like pretty normal. And I'm like, well, what about like, stealing so no, thing? again, again, not, and, and I may be wrong in this, but I feel like the money was always getting shorter and shorter as, as time went by. But I feel like for the most part, the bills were covered and stuff until again, like that last couple of years of just absolute craziness. I was, I mean, pawning everything inside. I mean, there was not enough money coming into the house to support my habit. Every dime I made, every dime that was in the checking account, every dime I could get my hands on through whatever means necessary. But, uh, but I feel like, I don't, I don't really feel like I'm going to put a timeline on it, but in the grand scheme of things, it was kind of a short period of time. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there were a lot of fights and, and, and just craziness because the money was gone and I wasn't willing to admit that I took, you know. How did you feel when I started to shut down the bank accounts from you? Stuff was getting real. Um, <laughs> and I just, it, again, it was just, I, I don't know if you guys have talked about this, but at that time she was starting to shut down bank accounts and things like that. I was running out of stuff to pawn. I started like mowing yards for people in the neighborhood. <laughs> I like went around the neighborhood, put like crap in everybody's mailbox and I would mow their yard. I was donating plasma. I was just like hustling and doing it, you know, anything I could possibly do to make a dime. I was doing it in the turnaround. So, and during all this time, you were still thinking, oh, I could stop whenever I wanted to. Like, there was no realization at this point, like, this has gotten out of control or like, I have mm -hmm. the money and I'm do doing all of these things so that I can keep, keep, keep getting more and more and more. Yeah, there was never really an end game in my mind as, as long as I could get high. I don't really remember a, like a turning point, but we were, you know, we were talking about earlier, um, like when I lost control maybe, but for a long time, I just kept using and then I would like switch drugs. You know, I would 
like stuff got a little too real because I was using too many painkillers. So then I would, you know, tone it back and go back to using a bunch of benzos and pod. And then, oh, well, I, that's really messed me up again. So I'm going to go try drinking. And then, oh, well, I'm going to go buy some Suboxone off the street. So I don't go through withdrawals again. There was like a couple of years, I want to say, where I tried everything under the sun. I don't want to say to quit because I didn't think it was possible to live life without some kind of mind altering drug, but to try to keep it under control where it wasn't a big problem. And I mean, I, I literally tried everything, you know, be it, like I said, Suboxone, only drinking, only doing certain pills, stopping those pills, using these, only using on, you know, it, it just, but nothing worked. And then again, then by the time heroin came into the picture at a later date, that's when it just started to really just fall apart though. Um, I feel like I kind of took a step back there, but, but up until that point, I was, you know, just trying anything and everything to, to keep it together, you know, and that included like switching drugs. But then by the time heroin came into the picture, that was just end all be all. That was so, the, so then heroin came into the picture and like, do you think it's like the train went off the tracks from there, basically? Or? Absolutely. If, if you could make the argument that I kind of had it together before the heroin came along, I just I lost absolute control. You know, I, I'm going to say it was around uh, 2011-ish. So four years before I got clean is when I first, I think, started using heroin. And then, you know, within just a short amount of time, the heroin wasn't even enough. There wasn't enough money to buy enough heroin. It was throwing benzos on top of the heroin because the heroin wasn't even enough to knock me out anymore. Mm. And I just, I just lost all control. I mean, I was overdosing all the time. Just things that I never, even if I was using before, stuff that I could kind of hide, I feel like, and at least put up this front to people. Like, I've kind of got my stuff together, you know, or you could at least make that argument and somebody would buy it. But at this point, that just it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So did you realize, like, during that time, like, those four years of, like, using heroin, like, did it, like, did you realize, like, okay, I, I am an addict? Not necessarily those words, but but that is like what's going on at all. To be perfectly honest, I don't think so. I I look again at like this close group of friends I had growing up, and I mean we weren't like super tight, especially when we got into our you know later twenties and stuff. But like we just like to get high, like, and we kind of all still got high. And even though I took it to a more of an extreme than maybe one or two of the other guys, like I didn't really feel like I was an addict. You know, I'd, I'd never heard of recovery. I'd never heard of, I, I just never heard of any of that stuff. I, I, I could look back and say now, yes, I was an addict at the time. I, I just, I never could, I never had the words to put to it. Okay. And I, and I also don't feel like I believed it because I was still trying to get along and use drugs. Sure. Yeah. That um, reminded me of something I wanted to ask you when you said you didn't really know much about addiction or recovery. Um, does addiction run in your family or was that anything you knew of at the time or something you've learned about now? Yeah, it actually does. It runs in my family, uh, especially on one side of my family. I mean, going back like generations, it's funny because I mean, I used to say like, Oh, we were the first ones to not have somebody like that, but it was always alcohol in my family. That's what everybody always talked about. Okay. My, my, 
my mom especially was really strict growing up. She has a brother um, has a problem with drinking. Her you know her dad was an alcoholic. Uh, to see those things, she just always really warned us about drinking and that we were more susceptible to having a problem with drinking. And to be perfectly honest, I never really liked to drink that much. I wanted to, I just wanted to use painkillers and pots. Like, so I was always like, well, I'm good because I don't like to drink anyway. So I'm just going to get high. You know? Yeah. So there's kind of a disconnect of how the two are related. Mm-hmm. Like- Absolutely. I never, I never looked at what I was doing. Like I looked at it as something different, you know? Yeah. Which I think with kids, I think that's interesting. And I don't know, Lizzie, if you've thought about that, like Drew's drug of choice is alcohol, but yeah. like, you know, preparing the bo- the kids for all drugs. Yeah, I think know? actually like because of this, it's going to make me like kind of rethink like uh, because like I've said before, like we have um, addiction like on both Drew and I's side, but with my family, they always told me that we have alcoholism in our family and to be more like, you know, aware of it. But yeah, it's going to definitely like, you know, I want them to know it's all connected. Yeah. You can't, you know, if you, if you do happen to have the, you know, (laughs) the allergy or whatever you want to call it, like to alcohol, like you're going to have it to, you know, drugs too. So, yeah. So let's, jump to then back into once you got into re rehab you know at the time you thought oh i'm do- just doing this to appease elise for now buy me some time um so what did that look like yeah so this was the first time i had ever had any kind of experience with anything you want to call recovery i we talked about June 10th, 2015. I, I had overdosed, hit a semi on the interstate, pulled over, went to jail. I was already going to some kind of thing. I had been to a recovery counselor that day and I had convinced myself that I, well, I got to get high one more time before, you know, I started this, whatever the hell this is going to be. And that's when I overdosed that last time. Because, I had trust in him because I didn't know what was going on. I trusted him. I said, hey, can you go get your Suboxone, get off work, go get your Suboxone, take it, and you're done with it. He said, yeah, yeah, I can. I was hosting an event, like like an event for an organization, and that's when I got the call. I was getting all these private calls from a cop, and so they pulled me out of the event, and and whatever, accident with the semi, blah, 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 and he went to jail that night. So I did not go with him. Yeah, and that's what that was like kind of the last like straw. I don't know if I was already scheduled to go to our local rehab center at that point. I can't remember, but I wound up in a rehab center really fast after that one. Because you went to jail. Because I went to jail. jail. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Uh jail was was terrible. Um uh was but again, it was more to I feel I feel like everybody at that point. It was the first time I've been to jail. Everybody was really getting on my ass. So we got to do something different, which was rehab. And I went through the whole program and I, and I didn't use, and I passed all my drug tests and I, and I did all the meetings and I get, got to the last week. The lady that was running the program said, well, this is the last week. So you need to finally go to an outside meeting. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? I was like, I did all my meetings. 
And she was like, no, these are counseling sessions. She was like, if you don't go out and find a meeting, you're going to die. <laughs> and I never really had it put to me like that, that this wasn't just, uh, my sponsor calls it like a car wash. You know, that's how we thought of it. Like, we're going to roll through rehab, get clean. Then we're, you know, we're out of here. I didn't realize this was like a, you know, lifelong Full commitment. meetings <laughs> and you're about to go do something. And it, it, I think we met Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And that last Wednesday, she said, if you don't come back by Friday and say that you went to a meeting outside of this thing, I'm going to say you failed it. Your insurance isn't going to pay for it, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, no, it was the next week. I take that back. It was Friday. And the next week was our last week. Because the first week meeting I went to was on a Sunday. And uh, and I went back. And I, and I told them that I went. And at that first meeting, this, you know, this 12-step anonymous meeting, people just told me to keep coming back. And again, I, I still had kind of the same mentality like, okay, well, I'm going to be done with rehab. I can at least go to these meetings and everybody will think I'm doing something like, you know, and all at least I can at least go back and just sit there and, you know, and that's kind of what I did. And I, I got through the rehab program and I started attending a 12 step meeting once a week and I just kept going back. And that was really my first like dipping my toe into anything considered recovery. So and, it, and it was just, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, when did your mindset change? Or do you even know, like, when it changed from, like, okay, I'm going to go to these things because I need to, to like, keep up uh, appearances and whatever. So, like, then when did it change to, oh, I'm going to go to these because I want to stay clean and I want to be going for myself? Yeah, so I can look back at all those. I can't really put, like, a, an aha moment on any of them. It always came to me, like, in hindsight. I would be just doing kind of the same stuff, uh, never really looking to expand my horizons in recovery necessarily. And I would, but I was giving myself a break from the drugs. I wasn't using at this time. I wasn't using. And I feel like I was just giving myself a break from the drugs and letting my mind kind of clear out and going to the meetings, something eventually clicked. I can't look back on it again with like, a, oh, yeah, that's what happened. And that's why I wanted to keep going back. I think part of it, though, was I really, really, truly believed you couldn't go through life without using some kind of drug. And now I'm putting alcohol in there, too, because I, I that's that's what I do now. But I thought, OK, well, I can give up the dough, but I'm going to drink and smoke pot like that's just what life is. Like I really truly believe that. And you get people that are talking about life totally free of mind or mood altering substances. And it's like, Holy shit. Are you for real? <laughs> yeah. I remember a counselor, Elise came with me to my counselor, my recovery counselor. And she was like, well, why don't you try to stop drinking for a year? And we got in a big fight in her office because I was like, I don't have a fucking drinking problem. Why, why do I got to stop drinking? I was like, what? And you think I'm going to do it for a year? I was like, you guys are nuts. I was like, this is not going to happen. And then she was like, well, why don't you just try it for a month? She was like, I promise you, I'm not going to promise you that you can't, that you will stop drinking forever. She's like, but I do promise you that your thinking on the subject will change over time. And she was absolutely right because 
at that time I, I was like trying to drink non-alcoholic beer and like so like all these Steve shortcuts around whatever people were telling me to do and that's just you know that's not the way to work any kind of program but my thoughts on the subject did change but again I feel like it just took time it took time for me to open up to that possibility right let's talk about your relapse yeah so I had a Four relapse so again when I when I talk about this with other addicts this is like my only uh like official relapse whatever you want to call it but I feel like for years and years and years I tried to stop by all means that I knew how so I feel like I relapsed for years and years and years, but actually when I stopped using it was June 10th, 2015 was my first clean day. I had racked up like a hundred and some days of clean time. And I think, I think by that time I might've had two meetings a week I was going to, and, and I had a sponsor. It was October. Um, and I found dope in my car. Uh, I, which is so unlike me, man. I had friends that could save their dope and I just did not save dope. I don't know if it happened when I got arrested and I hit it. Um, this is not, we can laugh about it now. Um, but I, I don't know where it came from, but it scared me. I had heard all the things at meetings. You need to call somebody if you're thinking about using. It was scary how fast I found that dope to using it. It was instant. It, I found it and I was already using it. And then by the time I had finished using it that time, I had convinced myself that I had enough left over that I could use it some more later. And I used the rest of it two days later. I and what we, what we realized was the dope that he found was the dope that he had OD'd on and was foaming from the nose and mouth. So yeah. like that was like the, the heavy stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I, I and then after that, I, I was going to hide it. Um, I was going to, you know, just not tell anybody and uh, keep going to meetings and stuff. And it was going to be the same old rodeo. But I, I failed a drug test with my drug counselor. Elise was there. I yeah. Failed. Was Elise like, and, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. And so this is. But this, he denied it. Yeah. So this is like my first, I feel like, watershed moment in recovery. Because I denied it to my counselor. And I said, nope, I didn't use. And it was the same old Steve, Steve show. Deny, deny, deny. Get everybody off your back. They might blow you some stuff for a little bit, but eventually this will go away and you can get high again. And that's how it was going to be. And I feel like th that was like the fork in the road in my recovery. Like, because I believe that was on a Thursday. And then you guys all came over that weekend. Um, and that Friday, Elise came home. And I believe that's when I told her. And it was like this choice, though. Like, you can either keep lying and go on another run and do the same old stuff, or you can tell her what really happened and you might be able to get past this. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it was the meetings I'd be going to, you know, whatever I told Elise, she, I know she was devastated, but I think by that time we had all had some recovery experience and relapse was something that people talked about. It wasn't something that was, you know, crazy foreign or like this, just to, oh, well, it's over now. You relapsed. You know, we had gained enough experience to know that, that it wasn't the end and that we could work through it. And then I called my sponsor the same day. And then you guys all came over to our house and I told all you guys about it. At least the guys, yeah. I believe. I don't think we, you might have talked to the guys about it. And I think yeah. we had talked separately, but yeah. Yeah. And so I, I feel like that was a real watershed moment in my recovery. And I went to a meeting that Sunday and I brought it up and I took a start over and 
you know, again, this is just my story. I don't feel like anybody has to relapse at all, but I also feel like, you know, that was like, it doesn't take a relapse to get it, but for me, it kind of did at least in, in, you know, in my story. So I think it's always can be helpful for family to hear also, like, you know, like you said, relapse doesn't have to happen. Um, but it is nice to know that if it does happen, it doesn't have to be like the end of the world. Like, you know, it's, it's disappointing. And I do remember like Elise was devastated and angry and all the feelings you would have, but like, you know, sometimes relapse then pushes you further and like, it doesn't have to just be everything is over. Like, I mean, cause then from then now you're four plus years yeah, that was October 23rd, 2015. And that was the last time I got high. Wow. That's awesome. That is awesome. Congrats. Thank you. So a couple months later, we found out I was pregnant. Do you think the kids make you stay sober? I hate to say that because when you when you when I first got clean, one of the things that everybody said was you gotta get clean for you, you gotta get clean for you, you gotta get clean, you can't get clean for anybody else, you gotta get clean for you. And that was something where I was like, Well, I'm screwed because I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for everybody else. Like that's exactly what I thought. I'm doing this so my wife will leave me the F alone. Like I'm not doing this because I wanna be here. And I came to realize though, the things that I did want in life, I, I we just barely touched on it, but I had such an awesome dad growing up. Like, that was the guy I wanted to be. Like, I wanted to be that dad. I wanted to be that husband. I wanted to be that guy. And um, I feel like, so I kind of was doing it for me because even though I was there and getting clean and being like, well, I'm getting clean for Elise, I was getting clean no matter what. But number two, it kind of was for me at the end of the day because I knew I wanted to be a good husband and I wanted to be a good father and I wanted to be that kind of man. So ultimately I was doing it for me. And then the kids today, so that whole first year Elise was pregnant. We didn't, we didn't have a baby at our house. That's- so, so that was, there wasn't a baby at home to, to really motivate my recovery, but it did motivate me to go find meetings. Uh, I talked to different people in the program that have more experience than me. I, I really feel like that time is where I laid the foundation of my recovery. I knew where a meeting was every day of the week because I knew stuff was going to get just absolutely hectic with a baby in the house. But anyway, to, to the original question, I don't feel like I'm staying clean for the kids, but I love my kids so much, man. Like they are the, like the fuel that lights my fire to go do recovery. I don't know how you want to describe it because I still get hesitant if I'm saying like, well, I'm staying clean for the kids. I mean, because I kind of am because I want to be that kind of dad. But at the end of the day, it really is for me. Like, Well, yeah, because I got to be clean. You got you want to be clean so that you can continue to be in their life. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're using that, like, what are the odds that you're going to be seeing your kids? Or if you die, like, you're not going to see them. So, yeah, I, I, I see what you're meaning. Like, it's for them, but also for you, because it's something you want to, like, keep in your life yeah lizzie what does drew say about that um i think like uh and i remember hearing it from counselors like sometimes the motivation to get sober is maybe from somebody else but ultimately you end up getting sober for yourself so kind of the same thing like you know almost like 
your kids are your motivation, but ultimately you're doing it for yourself. So like, you know, I was the one who pushed Drew into rehab um, multiple times. And, you know, every time he relapsed, he learned something new and he gained more things, but then kept doing it more and more for himself. So this last time around, you know, he tried to take his own life. So it was literally life or death for yourself. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, what was it like then when the baby came and like managing everything? It was, it was, uh, it was crazy. Like, like I said, I mean, I got clean on October 23rd, 2015. We got pregnant December 31st, 2015. <laughs> uh, we know. Like, stuff was crazy. <laughs> like, stuff was crazy, man. But I, I really, again, by this time, I feel like I had at least a foothold in my recovery. I was going to more meetings. I had picked up a lot more meetings. Again, I, I think six it, days a week. Yeah, during that year when Elise was pregnant, I, I six days a week, and the seventh day I knew where a meeting was. I just usually took one day off to kind of be at the house um, of an evening, and I had lots of people in recovery that were rooting for me. I had lots of people that I felt like I could count on. I had a sponsor that had a child, so I felt like he had a lot of good advice for me. I, I was just trying to do everything people were telling me because at this point, you know, I was going from a guy that couldn't even take care of himself in every sense of the word, literally could not take care of myself to a guy who's going to be responsible for taking care of a baby. It's, it's insane. Um, and over that year, I just tried to do whatever I could to, to lay the foundation of my recovery first. And then everything else kind of came second. Like, and, and you got a lot going on then too. You're, you haven't felt real feelings in probably the better part of a decade or like a decade and a half. And then you're trying to struggle with staying clean emotions, you're trying to live this new life. And then on top of it all, you're trying to prepare for this baby coming. I mean, it was really a, a crazy time. I don't want us to make it sound like, it was more than I could handle or anything because it wasn't. It was just a, there was just a lot going on and trying to keep your head straight and, and then stay clean on top of it. You know, it's a lot. You talk about, um, you know, feeling those like emotions for the first time and learning how to like handle them. Like, how do you handle those emotions or figure that out during the time? Like, what do you think helped you process everything? So again, for me, I feel like, looking back in hindsight at, at the, at the progress I made in recovery, the, it just gets better with time. You, you give yourself that break from the drugs. You can, you can start to think of things with a clear mind and you start to just slowly make progress. One of the first things I remember was when I would use, if I had the thought of using, I would instantly, it was over. Like the train had left the station. Nobody was going to stop me. If I just thought of using, I was going to cry. I would immediately react to the thoughts that I had, uh, you know, and they were almost always negative reactions. You get, I got some clean time. I got some time away from the dope and I could start to say like, holy crap, I had that thought of using, but like it just passed through my head. And I feel like the emotions and all that came later as well. It, just things that I would look back and say, holy crap, last week you, somebody cut you off in traffic and like, you didn't even like, try to get into your car and like 
you know, I mean, just like living life, you know. And just he like, did that. He he got mad at someone and got out of his car. His <laughs> road rage is real. That is real, but I'm gonna say the drugs played a big part in that too. Um, but just like the, the craziness starts to subside a little bit because because you're you know actually living a life and and you're not whacked out of your mind all the time, you know. So I will say that he did not deal with emotions well in the beginning. So he had to go to meetings six days a week, even though we had this colicky baby. And I think even now, even though we're like five years, like you started using at 15. So they say whenever you start using drugs is about how emotionally um, mature you are. So he was in some situations acting like a freaking 15 year old. So it's taken many years. And like, I can tell like when he's being a jerk or whatever it may be, like you need a meeting, like you need to go touch base. It's like your counseling session. It really lifts you up. She, she's absolutely right. And I would say like probably just all of a year and a half after I got clean, like I was just kind of a jerk because I was still trying to navigate like a regular life and figure it out. And then, like, you know, you think about it like, oh, bad stuff's going to happen. And then you're trying to stay clean. So then you, you're reacting like just this terrible way to it. But like even good things that happen, like I hadn't had anything good happen in a long ass time. Like, and you're trying to figure that out yeah. too, you know, and I'm going to say a solid year and a half. And, and she's absolutely right. I went to meetings six days a week just to try to keep my head on straight. And now I'm a few years out. And I try to hit three meetings a week. That really, I really feel like that's my sweet spot. I, I feel good and centered when I when I hit that many meetings a week. But but when I go several days without them, or my patience starts to run short, or I start to notice these things, and she will notice them sometimes before I even do. But sometimes I will too. And it's just like you know, hey, I got to go to a meeting, and, and I can try to be you know more cognizant of what's going on. But, but it's the meetings that help. It's it's the recovery because. All that stuff is just linked to, to me, and I, you know, it is, it's like counseling. It's like my medicine, you know. Do you, oh, go ahead. Do you do counseling, or have you done it? I have in the past. I, okay. I don't right now, um, but I'm always, like, open to it. But I really feel like, uh, my, when I first went to rehab, they did, you do group counseling. And that's kind of what I feel like a meeting is for me. It's like a counseling session with, with like-minded people where, you know, I, I get to get out of the bull crap that other people don't. And, uh, and like I said, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, like center or zen or, you know, whatever. That's that's what a meeting mind space puts me in. So you absolutely obliterated my trust. Did you think you were ever going to get it back? No. And that was a hot topic with my sponsor for a long time because – he would always, he was married too. I felt like I looked for somebody as a sponsor that that was kind of in the same situation I was. He he had hid his using from his wife for a long time. He had a child and he was always very quick to point out to me like, don't, don't start redenting or don't start holding grudges for, for wanting to get that trust back too early. And that was really not a problem for me. I, I don't feel like at least might think of it differently, but I don't feel like I ever pushed like, because there was just so much damage done. Like I could forget a lot of stuff for sure, like details and stuff, but I don't forget her falling to her knees, crying in her bedroom. Like, like there's like, it was hardcore stuff, man. And 
the fact that she stayed and then, you know, getting clean and, and start to try to come to terms with all that stuff. I don't feel like I ever pushed for the trust. And I felt like I just kind of tried to let it happen naturally. And again, I feel like it's just one of those things that only time is really yeah. going to tell what's going to happen. You mentioned your sponsor and I'm curious. So at this point being like five years or going on five years, whatever it is, um, like how often do you communicate with your sponsor now? So it's not as much now as it was in the beginning. I just touched base with him this week, actually. Because? Uh, because I, I wasn't in a great headspace. I wasn't able to get to a meeting. And, <laughs> and then... I said, call your sponsor. <laughs> yeah, this is very true. Uh, I just want to point out something that one of my first recovery counselors said was that Lisa was my accountability partner. And I love that so much. Which she, it really put it in perspective for me anyway, like, not only like she's got your back, but like she's going to call you on your bullshit, man. And that's what I needed. And it's still the same to this day. And I, it's not always like, like this. I don't want to say it's like, Oh, always like really rosy, but I mean, Elise tells me when I need to go to meetings and she tells me, Hey, you're not acting right. You should really give somebody a call. And I, I always try to hear that and take it to heart because number one, she's always right. But number two, like, that's what I got to do to stay clean. And, and when she says that, she's only looking out for my best interest. But yeah. she, I like I said, she's, she's like almost always right. Your so. growth and your willingness to, you know, be healthy and in recovery. The fact that, you know, she can point those things out to you and that you respond well and like go to a meeting or call a sponsor rather than being like, mind your own business or, you know. <laughs> he doesn't always respond well just so you know i can point it out i am relatively persistent so um yeah yeah i i yeah i try i tried to kind of put that in yeah i mean i'm not (laughs) i always just like oh yeah you're absolutely right i'm gonna go do that because that's not how it goes but no but yeah yeah so I, I know we're kind of long on time, um, but I think a question that we've always asked all the guys, like, what can fam- what can you tell family members how to help guide an addict through either active addiction or getting to recovery? I, I feel like this is just, it's such an important thing to talk about, but I feel like it's just so different for everybody, especially now being on the other side with kids of my own because you learn all these things when you, when you get into recovery and you learn about what you should and shouldn't do. Um, I feel like one of the biggest reasons I got clean though, was because shit started to get real because Elise started go going to groups where they talked about addiction. She started to come home and stuff started to quickly change. The bank accounts were shut down. There was no more money available. There, all of these things started to change. There were, there were no far less excuses, almost no manipulation because it just wasn't going to fly anymore because her eyes were open. A lot of my family's eyes were open and it just started to get really tough uh, for me to try to put up the same old bull crap and think it was going to stick. But again, the, the other side of that though, I feel is like 
now that I've got kids, like I can't imagine your child being an addict and then I'm not a counselor, so I'm not telling anybody what to do, but, but they do. I think, you know, the consensus is, you know, you don't give them money and you try not to be an enabler and stuff like that. But like your kids coming to you and asking for money, like it's easy to sit here and say that, but I just can't imagine how tough it would actually be though. When your kids in the spotlight that too, you know, so I really feel like that's one of the main reasons I got clean, but you know, I would say seek professional help number one to be able to guide you through it. But you know, just, try to stay strong and stick to what they tell you because the more knowledge you gain about addiction, you know, the more prepared you are to, to try to, to, you know, help your own child or whoever it may be. And, you know, I don't have all the answers, but again, I just yeah. feel like I can see it from both sides. No, that's good advice. Just be so um, tough. Speaking of, you know, kids, like, I mean, hopefully this is not something that yours struggle with um, addiction in the future, but you know, it, it's possible is that something that you think about and or are are worried about? And you know, if that was, I don't know. Are there any plans that you have of like how you'll talk to them or? I don't want to say I necessarily have like a plan, but I definitely will be open about about my struggle with addiction. I, I feel like I would definitely be open to to how they might be more susceptible to have a problem with addiction. Absolutely. I, w I would be doing those kind of things. And then I, but I feel like, again, this might change when they're older because I can't understand how tough this would be, but like you kind of, kind of let people go. And this is something I've been learning as I've been in recovery and you watch your friends go back out and, but there's nothing you can do. You can't make somebody stop. So I, I would just hope that, like any of my friends in recovery, I hope that they would know if they needed help, they could come to me. And, you know, as long as I'm still working this program of recovery, like I could at least, you know, help them. I could, I could, I could be there if they needed help, you know, and I, I, I hope that would be the same for my kids as it is for my, my friends in recovery that maybe I can't make you stop right. using, but if you're, if you're ready to stop using, maybe I can help you. Well, any final questions from anyone for Mr. Steve? No, doesn't sound like it. I think um, there's so much more no. that we could get into. Like we didn't even really touch on like, you know, the steps and the sponsor or you being a sponsor and all those other things. But I think it'd be interesting to have you back for another episode where we, you know, focus on that area. Um, and we can check in. There's just so much to learn, but I think this was good for tonight. It does feel like it was a very like, like glaze over version because there was a lot of bullshit, a lot of anger, a lot of stealing. There was there was a lot, yeah. a lot of OR, of uh, ICU visits, ODs, <laughs> car accidents. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of that bullshit. Well, it's a yeah. uh, it's a lot to cover Rosie. in an hour. Wasn't. I think we no, got a good not. overview of like the timeline, and uh, there will be some other times where we can uh, dive in to maybe some more specific time periods. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Of how much you, of an asshole he was? Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> and, and, 
That's absolutely true, and, I, and I'm not going to deny it. And I, but I think one of the biggest things going for us now is it, it has been almost five years, and I think it's a lot easier to look back on that stuff. And it was it was shitty. It was really shitty. But now we've kind of been on the other side for a while, and we kind of look back and laugh a little bit. And you know, so maybe it, again, it was not good. Being but being better. on this side, maybe we can look back on with a. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For sure. But yeah, we can dig deep if you guys want Appreciate to. Appreciate time. <laughs> All right, everyone. Yeah, so thank you. If you have any stories you'd like to share with us, we always want to hear them. Please connect with us on social media. Thanks for tuning in to Boy Problems Podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this episode. Find us on social media, and if you have questions or ideas for topics, email us at hello at boyproblemspod.com.